Hi, this is Gavin O'Mara from FE News. I'm here with David Price OBE. We'll be thinking about the upcoming FE white paper. David has a great perspective of global educational systems, so we thought it'd be great to be able to share some of his views and ideas as to what we could be thinking about for the upcoming FE white paper. What would you say is a suggestion of what you think? Because you've got such a cool global perspective as to um, systems that are interesting in the world of education and in the world of work, which the UK government could maybe be thinking about. Right. Well, yeah, I, I mean, the, the fantastic opportunity that, that writing the book afforded me was I was able to go... Um, around the world, really, and and uh, I mean, paid for it, so <laughs> it wasn't like a holiday. But I I went to places like Cambodia um, and uh, Australia, New Zealand, uh, and and looked at uh, what I considered the really innovative organisations. Not not all education, but 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 an awful lot who were. And um, w- what I what I took from that is that. It, sometimes it's easy for us in, uh, and I keep using the word UK and it's wrong, it's easy for us in England to think that, uh, you know, we're still this dominant force uh, in education. and It's where all the cool stuff's happening. It's not, and I don't think it's been like that for a very long time. Uh, one of the interesting uh, conversations I had was with a guy called Grant Lickman, and um He's, he's based in, in Southern California, and he just had a book out uh, about education policy making. And he described what he called, you know, there's basically three parts to, to education policy. There's the why, there's the, the what, and then there's the how. And in, in his view, certainly America had kind of reached a broad consensus, apart from, as he described it, uh, you know, the small cluster of schools in really deprived inner city, city urban areas that frankly nobody knew what to do with. Um, but other than those, there, there was a kind of consensus around why, um, why it needed to change. Um, and, and the what was, was, was relatively uh, harmonious as well, that people talked about this concept of deeper learning, you know, do less, go deeper, bring in external people, you know, we, 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 we use this term now, learning ecosystem, when we probably didn't about five years ago. Um, and, and he said to me, so how is it in, in the UK? And, and I said, let's talk about England. I said, we still can't agree on the why. We, uh, and it's, it's true, we can't. I, I did a conference once with um, Pazzi Salberg, who's, you know, the Finnish guy, and he's, he wrote a book called Finnish Lessons. And he's worked a lot with, with ministers over in this country. And Pazzi said, I said, Pazzi, what's the difference between, say, the English system and the Finnish system? He said, in Finland, uh, we agreed on what was the purpose of education about 70 years ago. And he said, doesn't matter which government's in charge we pretty much don't mess with that. He said, it's really about, you know, how we get to, to, to this, this goal. I think we're still in this country saying, you know, is it about meeting employer needs? Or some people will say, is it about preparing citizens to, you know, to be global citizens? I think we're still having that kind of discussion. And, and the reason why I say, I think we have to stop referring to UK as a system is, 
I think what's going on in Wales right now is really interesting and, and very forward thinking. So to, to, to answer your question, I think what we've got to look at is, um, is let's, let's, let's catch up a bit here with, with, in terms of the global debate that's going on. So in New Zealand, which I think has got a really fantastic education system and a kind of seamless blend between vocational and, and academic, they don't, they don't even use those terms. Um, but they've, they've been uh, recently doing a massive consultation exercise. They call it the big conversation, where they, they said to people, you know, um, what's working, what's not working for you? They talk to parents, they talk to employers. Um, they had a, a very high profile public, you know, a lot of these conversations were televised. And I just think if, if this government has kind of run out of ideas, and, and frankly, I think it has, because um, I think the path that it's been on for the last 10 years is not giving the return on investment that it should have been doing. So if, if they're starting to run out of ideas, then I think actually a bit of humility is probably a good thing. And, and we could start to say, okay, let's, let's talk about what it, what it needs to be. And, and the coronavirus is, a, is an absolutely perfect moment because it seems to me what we saw with younger kids at least is that we had parents who, who understood what it was like to try to be a teacher. They, they reckon, they realized how hard it was, you know? And I've been doing parental uh, engagement workshops and I do them all around the world, uh, not so much in this country. Tend to, tend to do independent schools in this country because they, they've, sort of, they've seen the way the future's changing. Um, and so to just give you one example, what I, what I often do is I, I talk to people about, you know, what are the changes in employment? What are the changes in society that we've seen? You know, the massive, huge changes that we've seen. And then I ask the question, given all of these changes, how could education stay the same as it's been for essentially 140 years? Um, and then we get into talking about what's, what's basically learning theory. And, and we, we look at design principles. What are, if we were trying to rebuild an education system, what should be at the core? What's the kind of the non-negotiables? And this idea that parents aren't really interested just so long as you're looking after the young people, it's nonsense. They were, they were absolutely passionate about it. And this guy came up with me at the end of the one I did in, um, in Gurgaon, which is part of New Delhi, and it's the sort of Silicon Valley of New Delhi. This fellow came up with me at the end. He said, uh, I, I, I totally get what you're talking about. He said, I'm, I'm in charge of... HR for Google, India. And he said, we cannot get people with the skills that, that we need now, not from India. He said, we have to look beyond that. He said, because we've got this rigid traditional system where we're still you know, feeding kids and knowledge and then testing them on that. He said, but my problem is I was a beneficiary of that system. I, I did it really well. And I think that's Part of the issue, it seems to me, part of the resistance for change, funnily enough, actually I think comes from parents. And it's because we as educators have been rubbish at bringing them into a conversation. We're great at insider talk, you know, and we'll use words like pedagogy and, and, and words that they can't understand. But, but we've, we've not been good at involving them. And, and therefore, they kind of, I think there's, there's not a, a nuanced conversation. You see it at its most absurd where parents who 
would never step foot in a school because they hated that school. And, 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 and then the school gets threatened with closure. And suddenly they're all up in arms saying, no, you can't close our school. But, but it caused you 10 years of absolute misery. But so there's a lack of kind of, you know, cognitive uh, connection with, within all that. But the only way we're going to get around that is, is to have this consultation. And I was involved in a, um, a group people call Whole Education. And just before the coronavirus hit, we'd started this national conversation. We call it the big education conversation where we were going around the country and, and you know, having discussions right across the board. So yes, there were teachers. Yes, there were college lecturers, but there were also parents and, and employers. And it was fantastic. And unfortunately, of course, coronavirus happened and, and it was no longer possible. But I do think if we are looking at, you know, the government is committed to a citizens assembly on climate change. It's committed to a citizens assembly on, you know, what we do after Brexit. Why not have a citizens assembly on, on education? And, and why not get the discussion going? Because it's happening in, in other parts of the world. Yeah, 100%. It, it leads me on to the thing that government's always been trying to sort of look to try to, to sort of fix for a long time. And I think that the whole reason why apprenticeships are so important to government is around the productivity puzzle, around trying to solve productivity. And yeah, UK's uh, productivity is traditionally very low compared to our competitor nations. Yeah. When you did your research and you did your travels, you obviously come across some amazing organisations that have got you know, very innovative ways of working and really high productivity. What yeah. can we learn from that for both work and education? Well, the, the organisation that I saw, there was this kind of almost a virtuous circle between um, high levels of employee engagement, um, between the, the innovation in, in, in the organisation and, and its productivity. And then um, I suppose profitability was less important, but, but they, all, they all tended to, 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 to come as a package. And it's not hard to see why. You know, if, if you've got maybe 70% of, of employees who, who actually don't enjoy their work, well, they're not going to be very productive. So, you know, the, 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 the great learning that ought to have taken place from the lockdown is that people are actually more productive when they're at home, even though they've got the kids running around and the dogs barking, you know, why is that? Well, maybe it's because we've just, we were put in a position where we had to trust them. Um, and, and I think people are still scratching their heads around how that works, but it seems to me that, so engagement's clearly a big issue. But what I also saw was, there are some companies, particularly in the, in the knowledge sector, um, that are being really agile and adaptable. So there's a, a company called Sparks and Honey, and it's based in New York, although they've, they've got places all, all around uh, the US. And 10 years, 15 years ago, they would have been an advertising agency. That's basically what they did. They're, they're right on Madison Avenue, which is where Mad Men, you know, all those advertising agencies used to be. They describe themselves now as a cultural consultancy. So what does that mean? It, it, it means there's that shift, that, that what, what businesses need to know now isn't so much 
do you like this product? Do you want to buy it? It's more, what's, what's bubbling away on social media? What, what should we be aware of? And they, they give a beautiful example um, of, of eSports, because I didn't even know what eSports was. And then when they talked about this report that they'd written on eSports and, and how big it had become, and most people it just crept up on. Well, they were spotting it uh, five years ago. And, and the reason why is they've got this artificial intelligence machine, and it's called Q, and it analyzes data from Twitter, social media, news feeds, TV stations. It analyzes millions and millions of these cultural signals, and it then kind of makes sense of them, it codes them, and, and they, they, they have a way of looking at what's coming up by the speed, by its reach. And if it's significant, then they, they, they will commission a report on it because they know that um, corporations will pay them very well to, to know about this. More importantly than that, they'd just done a, a contract with the US uh, military because they wanted to know what are the early signs of young people being radicalized and, and how do we spot it before it becomes a real issue. So I thought that was this a beautiful blend of machine intelligence and human culture. And, and that's basically what they do. And I think this is, this is gonna be the future. Uh, it, it's true that you know, we are gonna lose jobs. The, 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 the sort of, um, the repetitive task, based jobs, a, a, a computer can do that so much better than us. But computers are lousy at being human. And, and I think that's what we've got to think about now. When we're talking about the growth areas, I mean, ironically, I often get, you know, parents will say to me, you know, have you got any advice? My kid's about to go to university and I'll say, what, what's she going to study? And she'll say, law. I say, don't, you know, get her, get her to be a beauty hairdressing therapist. You know, because that's where the work's going to be. The, the, the jobs now in the legal profession are disappearing just by the bucket load because all of that research has now been automated. So I think what we're seeing is, is this complete inversion whereby the, the cognitive and manual the complex tasks or, or, or will always be done by humans. You know, you're never going to get a robot come out to your house because you've got a leak and then work out where that leak was and then fix it. And I think it's, it's a great disservice to this country that we've, we've marginalized the skill that's involved in, in those professions. Um, and and we, need to, we need to be more like Germany. Yeah, 100%. No, 100%. David, thank you so much. That's this real massive food for thought. You're welcome, Gavin. We'll do it again. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Why not click subscribe so you can be informed when the latest next individual podcast or podcast mini-series from FE News are going to be released.